0: Matthew chapter five, verse six, the scripture says, "Blessed are they, which do hunger and thirst after righteousness." And then this, this portion of the scripture is profound. It's a definitive statement. it's inarguable, it's non-debatable. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Look to your neighbor and say, "I will be full." Tell them again like you mean it. I will be full. Before I leave here tonight, I will be full. Proverbs 8, chapter 17. <clears throat> I love them that love me. and Those that seek me early shall find me. I love them that love me. And if you hunger and thirst after me, I'll fill you up. <clears throat> when heaven and hunger collide, the miraculous will manifest itself, and angels will reveal themselves, and the spirit of ministry will unveil itself. <clears throat> Not going to be very much longer than right now. There's a spirit of ministry in here that doesn't require a whole lot more. Several months ago, this came back to me. And over the last year or two, the Lord has taken me to this. But the scripture says, and Jacob was left alone. And when Jacob was alone, we, we as humanity struggle not to be alone. It's one thing to be in... Solitude. It's another to be in solitary confinement. It's one thing to be alone. It's another thing to be lonely. But we reject being alone. We don't want to be left by ourselves. Jesus doesn't abandon you, but he will leave you there by yourself to go through stuff alone. He'll never forsake you. He'll never leave you, but he will allow you to have some detachment. Jacob wrestled with an angel that he would never have wrestled with had he been with the crowd. He was touched by heaven in a way that he would have never been touched had he been with the multitude. Moses spent all those years in the wilderness so he could leave that wilderness one day after a significant event took place. We reject wilderness experiences because we don't like them. Yet Moses had to endure one to lead God's people through one. And that looks like sometimes you're going through what you're going through for no good reason and that God's not around, he don't care, he's not aware of what you're going through, but he's letting you go through it so you can lead perhaps millions of others through the same thing at some point in time. Beyond every ounce of misery is the miraculous. Beyond every wilderness is a wonder. God is doing everything he can to position us as individuals, to be alone sometimes. I've wondered why he would do that. And the best I can tell is the fruit of loneliness oftentimes is desperation and hunger. When we get hungry enough and desperate enough, we're going to dig into a place in God that we would have never dug into before. We would have never been pressed to dig there had he not left us where we were by ourselves. Some of us have in the last, I don't know, two to four years been through some pretty trying places. Anybody want to acknowledge that? I'm talking about some low places, some dark places where you look to the right or to the left and there was nobody there and it don't make sense. Why would God do this to me? Because generally there's something in you that has to die and there's something else that has to be birthed. And He can't do all of those things when we're busy with the hubbub and we're feeling it and we've got that... Emotion going on, and we've got that anointing that just makes us keep on churning, and we never slow down, and we never stop, and we never get silent long enough to hear God say what He's trying to say. Moses had that experience never before nor since Moses has anyone seen a bush burn like that. But Moses wasn't shocked when he got to the Red Sea and knew that he needed the miraculous power of God because he remembered. After a 40-year span of loneliness, God proved to him, when you've reached the end of yourself and you've got nowhere else to go, I can take it from there. Moses simply stretched his rod forth over the Red Sea. And when he did that, the Red Sea obeyed the commandment of God and the power of God did a work and delivered those people. But Moses had to be able to believe that that could happen. And the only way that was ever going to be so was for him to be left alone in a wilderness Later he's left alone on the side of a mountain and God gives him commandments that still yet guide the church. Jacob wrestled alone with an angel. The angel tells Jacob, listen, the day breaks, you've got to let me go. I always thought that angels couldn't be seen during the day, but then I came to realize that the angel was saying to Jacob, look, I know the day is breaking and you've got responsibilities, you've got things to do. I understand that and I'm telling you that if your responsibilities are calling your name, I'll let you break away from this embrace. But Jacob said... No, I've been here all night. I've wrestled with you when I couldn't see my hand in front of my face. And now that I can start to see the light of day, if you think I'm going to let go of what I've just about achieved, you've lost your mind. I've been struggling with you all night long. I've got you where I want you. you fixing to have to bless me or kill me, one of the two. I'm too desperate to go back to the way I used to be. Jacob stayed in that embrace with that angel until he changed him. And it didn't just change him, but it changed the name of God's people. They were known from that point forward. His name became Israel. They became Israel. What you're going through isn't just about you. It's not just for you. It's not just concerning you. God's taking you through what he's taking you through because somebody else's life is going to be changed and affected and their destiny is going to be altered by what we're willing to go through all alone. <clears throat> and the enemy comes to us. Jesus was in a wilderness, the Christ, all by himself in a wilderness. And the enemy shows up at that moment where he needed to be strong and he needed to be focused, and he need. but he'd been fasting for 40 days and here comes the adversary at that moment of his weakest point. But because he held his ground and because he allowed God to be his defense, we ended up with an opportunity to walk away from sin and the clutches of the adversary because he was willing to endure what was set in front of him. He endured the cross sometime later, and because of that endurance, we're able to be here tonight, lift up hands to him, and be formerly bound but now free. We have those rights. And I know sometimes it seems that the end is never going to come to those low places and trials and valleys, but it does. But it's always going to bring about a purpose. There's always going to be a purpose in it. And I know we're not running the aisles just yet, but I've asked the Lord 15 dozen times, what do you want me to tell these people tonight? And he keeps telling me, you tell them there is a reason that I leave them alone. There is a purpose behind it. It isn't because I'm cruel. It isn't because I have nothing better to do. But I'm trying to bring them face to face. With a supernatural encounter that's going to permanently change their destiny, it's going to permanently change the way they view me, the way they view my kingdom. It's going to finally put them in a position where they let me be God, and be God by myself, my way. This church is headed into a unique place, and and there's such and, and I could I could rehash all I said last night and the night before, and everything that everybody else has said over the last couple of weeks. Apparently, it has been amazing around here. But I am simply going to tell you this. Everything, for those of you that were not here last night, let me just say to you everything that God has ever promised this church he's going to do, he is still planning to do it. Nothing about his intentions has changed. Nothing about his plan has ever changed. He hasn't altered his course, he hasn't changed his mind. We haven't made him so mad that he's abandoned us midstream. It's always been about timing, and it will always be about timing. God's timing is perfect. He knows what he's doing. He knows when to move, and he knows when to be still. He told the children of Israel, you move when I move. When you see those clouds moving, you move. When you see it stop, you stop. And with him, it's always been about timing. And I said this the last two nights. I'll say it again for those of you that were not able to be here the spirit in this city and in this region has changed. Something has shifted. I walked into this building yesterday evening and I could feel a difference and it felt like the old Antioch was back in this building. I can't explain that to you. I don't know how to explain that to you, but there was a familiar feeling to the anointing that was in this sanctuary last night and in the hallways of this building yesterday. I walked around yesterday morning and up in the sound booth and just walking through the building that it was something familiar and Those angels that have been a part of this church and have moved in this building and ministered in this building for years, but seemingly have been still and silent, have begun to move again. They've begun to stir around in this building. And I could feel yesterday the same thing that we used to feel in that gym down there on the floor. When you'd walk in those glass foyer doors and you'd start down that left-hand hallway and down into the gym, there was an anointing that was always there. There was a certain smell that was always in that building. And yesterday, it just, it really kind of, it caught me a little bit and and made me just stop and pause just outside the doors there because I could smell the smells that I remembered smelling in that hallway over there. And I just stood still for a few minutes at one point as I was walking around and I could feel the same thing I began to feel. And I began to know, the Lord began to say to me, he said, those angels that have always been here never left this place. They never left this property. They never left these people. But according to my timing and my plan and what I'm trying to do, they have been still. I have stilled some of them. They haven't moved much in the last few years, but I'm going to release them and I've allowed them to begin to move among my people. And the things that Antioch is accustomed to, they're going to see again. And the things they're Used to seeing happen in the times that they 've told about to their children and their grandchildren, now their children and their grandchildren are going to see those things again it 's never been because of anything other than god 's timing. Something 's shifted something 's changed. Some of you have been through horrific valleys and trials that only God really knows the true depth of and it 's always been for a purpose, rarely has it been for judgment. I think sometimes we want to put judgment on stuff that really isn't judgment, but it's trying to serve a purpose and work a purpose in us. And at the end of those times, the change that is in us is going to not just be seen by us, by everybody around us, however, and it's going to affect everybody around us. It's not about emotion. You can tell tonight's a little more low-key than last night and the night before. But it's about an understanding and a matter of faith God is going to do what he said he was going to do. And and I said to him last night, it's not, it's not necessarily bound to be that it's going to happen in this building or any other building. A lot of what God's trying to do through Antioch in this day is outside the doors of this building, in the street, in the job, in the colleges, in the high schools, in the stores, in the malls, wherever you may be. A man called me tonight right back there. That brother called me tonight and he said, today on the job, somebody came to him on a roof somewhere. And began to talk to him about the things of God. And a hunger was sparked in him. He's not from here. He's from another state. But they're going to try to find him a church to get connected to. That's what I'm talking about. There is a movement in the spirit. And the hunger of those people out there is about to have a collision with heaven. The hunger of the people of God is about to collide with the passion of heaven. And I'm going to tell you something. This is a... this is a, you, We're not going to get it with this lackadaisical mentality that, Okay, God, here I... oh. It's going to take some passion. It's going to take some integrity of commitment that says, you know what? It has been a long day. I have been through the ringer today. It feels like I've been beat up today, but I am yet hungry for the things of God. And even though I've been beat around and even though I've been talked about, and I may have even been fired on my job, but there's still a hunger in me that I can't I can't put it to rest. I can't put it to bed. When we get hungry enough for the things of God, we'll pursue them unashamedly. When we get hungry enough for the things of God, it doesn't matter what the people around us are doing. Every opportunity we have, whether it be at church or on the job or somewhere else, every opportunity we get, we're going to be in the pursuit of him. And when you, when you have that intersection with him and when you have that collision with heaven, All of a sudden, the miraculous begins to manifest itself and ministry begins to unveil itself and angels begin to reveal themselves because it's in that presence that they can move and that they can work and that they can do the things that God has destined them to do. I remember sitting in my office. You can seat yourself if you want to. I remember sitting in my office and we had a staff meeting before service and in that meeting one of the men the week before had said, our, my, my boss needs prayers dying with cancer. And um, so we prayed over a cloth, gave it to him, and I told him, I said, take this to your boss and tell him to just put it in his back pocket and uh, wear it in his back pocket all week long and uh, just, just accept what God is trying to do for him. And, and even if he don't understand it, just tell him to take our word. God wants to do a miracle in his life. The following week, when they came back into my office and we were praying, getting ready to go into the sanctuary before service, he said, Can I say something? I said, Yes, sir. <clears throat> and some of you have heard me tell this before. But he said, On Thursday evening, my boss checked into the hospital. Friday, they began to run all the tests, getting ready to do his surgery. And um, on, on they were supposed to do surgery on Saturday. But by the time Saturday had rolled around, they had been testing him and examining him and scanning him from Friday morning until Saturday morning. And they continued to do that. And they called in additional doctors and oncologists. And until finally Sunday afternoon, they came into his room with this vast team of doctors. And they said, we don't understand what's going on here. He was dying with this particular type of cancer. But we have we have scanned him. He drank that stuff that's supposed to illuminate cancer cells. And uh, he, he had done everything they had required of him. And they said, we're just dumbfounded. We can't find, we can't get one cell in his body to glow no matter what we do. And they said the thing about it that was kind of astounding to them was typically everybody has some of those cells that lie dormant in their body. And they said we can't even find any of the dormant cells that are supposed to be in his body. We have given him all of this stuff to drink and and put it in his body that we can put in there. But we still cannot find what we know we saw on the previous test. <clears throat> I mean, they had given him literally, he had like four months left to live. Even with them doing the surgery to extend his life. When, they, when, when this man told us that in my office, the words that came out of my mouth was, my God, that is unbelievable. When I said, that's unbelievable, I had a vision. The Lord just moved the petition between the carnal and the spirit world away. And I saw, through that veil, I saw my office filled with these people. But behind each of these people and beside these people in my office, there were angels beside each one of them. As a result of what I said, they each covered their faces. There was one on either side of me, and they also covered their faces. And they turned their backs to the room and began to move away from everybody. And they just faded right through the walls. The one that had been on my right as he was the last one, these two beside me were the last two to leave that room. Everybody's staring at me and I'm seeing what they can't see. And as these two angels get to the wall, the one out from under the cover of his hand, he never unveiled his face, but he looked over at the other one and he said, he doesn't understand. We cannot abide even in the slightest amount of unbelief. When he said that to me, to to that other angel, they disappeared through the wall. And grief settled over me and conviction to the point that I just slid right out of my chair and fell on my face under my desk and began to repent. Nobody in the room knew what was going on. Now, I'd seen angels a lot. And and, and I don't know, some people don't see them hardly ever, but I've seen them a lot in my lifetime, and it's it's not that uncommon. But I'd never seen that happen. I'd never understood that there are certain dimensions. I just—I'd never thought about it like that. That there are certain dimensions that angels are not going to abide in. <clears throat> and he said, that even in the slightest dimension of unbelief, we cannot be here. When I began to repent, I—I I, just—I just sobbed. I, I began to repent like I'd never repented before, and telling God how sorry I was for what I had said. And uh, after I repented, I just began to say, Lord, I do believe. Lord, you are the healer. You are Jehovah Rapha. I do believe what you're able to do. And as I did that, the Lord allowed me to see into the Spirit the second time. And all of a sudden, all of those angels that had once been in the room and faded through the walls, this time as they came back in, their hands were no longer veiling their faces, but their hands were lifted in the air and they were dancing and they were shouting and they were worshiping and giving glory to God. And the, the, the two that had come from beside me, the one said to the other one, he said, if they would continually generate an atmosphere of faith, they would be shocked at what God would allow us to do in their midst. And from that day to this, it it has been a a rule of mine that there were three words the Lord told me that night. He said, I don't want you to ever use these three words. Unreal. Unbelievable. And I can't even remember the other one. Incredible. Incredible. Because they mean exactly what they say. And he said, you have conditioned your mind with those words. And it dawned on me. There were, there were times, Bishop, that people would say, well, so-and-so has been diagnosed with this disease. And I would ask the question, well, does that run in their family? Yet when a miracle was told about, my statement back was, that's incredible. Which by definition means without credibility. Or I would say, That's unreal. We had an unbelievably powerful service tonight. The Lord began to talk to me. He said, you are creating an atmosphere around you of faith against me. There's no such thing as no faith. There's either faith in me or faith against me. And the very words of your mouth are so powerful that when you say things like unreal, incredible, and unbelievable, you're creating an atmosphere around you that I cannot operate in. I can't heal the sick when you lay hands on them. Because you don't believe that's a credible thing. When, when a miracle's told that somebody's been healed and I say it's incredible, I'm saying that that particular activity has no credibility. And there's been a generation in the church where we have, we have allowed little things like that to creep in among us and into our mindset that we, we don't speak of God in the hushed reverence like we have in times past. But that's changed and I don't know how to explain it to you and I feel like I'm off out in left field here right this minute, but trying to convey to you what's in my spirit, something has changed, something has shifted in the spirit world, the the heavens have have moved, and whatever God's been waiting on, the timing of it is coming to fruition, and there's the things that we've endured, there's no telling what all, everybody in here could tell stories about that you've had to go through, and it's it's all going to bottleneck here at one time, we've got a group of young adults that are coming up with their ministries now, front and center, and those who were here in the mid eighties that helped carry on your shoulders physically carry that influx of souls. You're, you're not finished, but there is another group of younger adults that are going to do now what you did then. And if we can get that generation and this generation moving together like it feels like is going on. At Antioch, what's about to happen this time around is going to be completely unprecedented. It's going to be without any historical reference that we've seen personally here to say, oh yeah, well, there'll come a point where you can't predict what's coming. There'll come a point that what's happening is greater than anything we've had happen here And that's what everybody in this room's been waiting on. That's why some of you that the enemy's been trying to get you to quit and back off, you just keep on coming. I know it's hard. I know it's tough. I know you're fighting every step just to get to the house of God. Just to pick one foot up and put it in front of the other. But that thing that you believed in a long time ago, you still believe in it. I know it may be a little hard to shout about it now sometime. But everything going on. But still deep down inside of us, there is the spirit of Caleb that says, Hey, I still believe what you told me was coming. I still believe what you promised me. I believe what Moses told us. He, God didn't tell me, he told the man of God. And I believe what the man of God told me. I'm not trying to piggyback on Brother Grossbach intentionally. I didn't know, I haven't watched what he preached. But I said something last night, and for the last, I don't know, six or eight weeks, this has just been maybe even three or four months, this 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 thing has just been in my spirit, and I can't get it out of there. And I'm not trying, but Caleb was, oh, what a guy Caleb was. He's one of those unsung heroes that we probably don't preach about nearly enough. Caleb, for the first 40 years of his life, you don't hear one word about him. And then all of a sudden, he is picked to represent the tribe of Judah to go in and spy out the land. He and Joshua came back with a report. In fact, when the negative report was given by the other group of spies, it was Caleb who stealed The Bible said he stealed the people. He hushed the crowd and said, Hey, y'all be quiet just a minute. And the thing that has always struck me about Caleb was his name meant dog. And the thing that, that struck me about Caleb was he was not even an Israelite. His daddy was a Kenizzite from the Canaan lands. Caleb, this Caleb, now Judah had a great grandson named Caleb, but this isn't that Caleb. Caleb believed what he had no birthright to inherit. I wasn't here when God told the bishop, we're going to be like a black dot on a white sheet. But the first time I heard it, I decided I may not be an Antioch by birth, but bless God, if y'all will let me hang around here long enough, I'm going to believe that until I see that come to pass. (laughs) Caleb gives his good report. I'm going to try to hurry up and get out of the way and let whatever happen. I want to bore you to tears. But you don't hear anything about Caleb for 40 years until then. And then he disappears from sight again after that. And for another 40 years, 45, you don't hear a word out of him. And then at 85, those of you that heard this last night, just bear with the rest of us. At 85, he comes riding up to little old Josh on his little camel. Whoops, His little old robe back. He said, you see that, bud? I'm packing heat. Joshua looks at him and said, yeah, I understand. But what are you doing here? He said, uh, you remember when Moses made us a promise? Yeah, I remember what Moses told us. He said, well, I ain't forgot it. I believed it the day he told us. I believed it the day we went into the promised land. I believed it all of each of those 45 days while we were in the promised land. I believed it when we stood before the people and Moses and told them the good report that we saw and that we had. And I, I believed it when I told them. I believe I remember still in the crowd, Joshua, when I told them that day. I believe that if we'll just get it together, we can go in there and get what's ours. But Caleb was not heard that day. But now he's decided somebody's going to hear what I've got to say. I was ignored the first time around, but bless God, I'm not going to be ignored this time. And Caleb had the attitude of, if you'll just give me permission, I, I don't need the rest of Israel to go with me. I want the mountain he promised me. Y'all can do what you want to with your own jump. I want mine. He said, I want that mountain that Moses promised me because I want my children and my grandchildren to have an inheritance in the promised land. Now, I wasn't here when God told the bishop what he said. I wasn't here when the bishop told you what God told him. But I told you when I started hearing all of it, I decided... I ain't heard anything else that I believe any more than that, so I'm going to buy into that stuff. I'm going to believe that there's going to come a day, a hundred thousand people. I believe the day is going to come, a hundred million dollars. I believe God, everything God told this church he was going to do, I still believe it. I'm not an Antioch by birth, but bless God, I believe what God promised this church, and I'm going to have my part of it. I've made my mind up. If you're going to be blessed and they're going to be blessed, Chunky's going to be blessed. Me and my house are going to be blessed. (laughs) Caleb had no right by birth to inherit anything that belonged to the Israelites. But his belief in his unwavering consistency and commitment to the promises of God made him the one that the tribe of Judah picked to represent them. There was something they saw in him that said, you know what? Some, we know you're not one of us, but by birth, but by belief, you are one of us. You believe what we believe. Therefore, you can represent this tribe. There are going to be some people that some of us may look at and think, my Lord, these are some Johnny come Latelys." Where were you at when we were going from street to street and building the building and setting up and tearing down i wasn't here and you think you got a right to what we got a right to yeah boy what gives you the right to partake in this i believe it first time i showed up here i heard y'all talking about it and i decided i was gonna buy into that because i believed it and you're going to be shocked at the people sitting in this room right now and in other congregations that hadn't been around. They they wasn't here for them all-night prayer meetings. They wasn't at the first meet meeting and the last manifest meeting. They wasn't here for all those weeks of praying and fasting and carpet burns on our face in the carpet but there are going to be some people that are probably going to come in in the next six weeks that God's going to say you know what son you believe it just as powerfully as the rest of them here's your inheritance take it here's your part of that revival take it here's your ministry go to it here's your gifting, use it there's going to be some people that don't even know what an angel looks like going to start fellowshipping with them Because their hunger is not going to allow heaven to remain silent anymore. I see it. I hear it. I believe it. And I want what's mine. And that has, that's come. That time and that season to Antioch has come. And the spirit of Caleb is here. Caleb. I told him last night, little old Caleb looked at Josh. He said, hey, don't let the gray hair fool you, son. Uh Uh-uh, don't let the wrinkles mess you up. I'm well able to ride into battle. He said, matter of fact, he went on ahead and drew the line way on out there. He said, I can ride into the battle with the rest of them, the young men. And he said, it's not just that. You know how sometimes you you look at folks and you say, yeah, they're going to get themselves in trouble, but I'm going to have to get them out of it. Caleb cleared that up too. He said, hey, look. I'll take myself into that fight, and I'll get myself out of it. Don't you worry about it. I can ride into battle, and I'll be back when the battle's over. Don't you worry. I'm still well able. I'm still packing heat, baby. I'm ready to go into battle. I got my sword right here. All I need, my, Joshua, is for you to give me the go-ahead to go take my mountain. And if you'll let me, me and my family will go take what belongs to our tribe. If you'll just give me the green light, I'm ready to have revival. And I can feel that spirit of Caleb at Antioch. Somebody has been... Been just sitting around saying, Hey, when y'all get ready and God gets ready and the time comes, if you'll just give me the nod, me and my bunch are ready to go get what belongs to the house of God, what belongs
1: to the kingdom.
0: You think i fought hell this long to back off now? You've lost your mind. You think I'm going to sit on the sideline now? You've lost your mind. I may have to walk out into the battlefield with crutches or a walker, but bless God, when the fighting starts, I'm going to be right in the big middle of it because I want my babies and my grandbabies to have an inheritance in apostolic ministry and in the church and in the kingdom.
1: And if they're going to have it, we're going to fight for it.
0: That's about all I know. That's about all I got. (coughs) Heaven and your hunger have begun to collide. Brother Morgan will be here Saturday. Ooh. You're going to be doing a whole bunch of that. And, and the enemy's trying his best. But it's time. There are going to be some people just fall over sideways crazy. Can't help it. Still time. There's going to be some people going to get their feelings hurt because so-and-so didn't talk to them at church. I can't help it. It's time for a revival. You're just going to have to grow up and get up. There might be some people say, you know what, I wasn't ready for this. It don't make any difference. It's time. It's time. There's an anointing that's springing up. I told them last night, I said, I just... I just, I whispered it through the building yesterday a time or two. I just wanted to say, spring up, oh well. Spring up. And you can just feel it. It's here. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be powerful. It's going to be life changing. It's going to be perfect. It's going to be the will of God. It's going to be unstoppable. It's going to be unexplainable. It's going to be believable. It's going to be real. It's going to be credible. And it isn't going to be limited to just church services. I wouldn't doubt, Pastor Wright, but what some people just decide, you know what, we're not not going to just wait on them to call a prayer meeting. We're going to be back down there Friday night. And I know we have in church Saturday and Sunday, but it felt so good, we'd just be down there Monday night praying. Why? Because it's time. <clears throat> we, we hit a season one time in Peoria, Illinois. The Lord told me, he said, I want you down here every night, you and your wife praying at 7 o'clock. I said, why? He said, because I said so. Roger that. So I told Bishop Lashley and Pastor Jeff Lashley, I said, um, now my wife and I starting tomorrow night will be here every night for prayer at 7. Well, we don't have prayer at 7. Yeah, we do. The Lord told me for me and her to come pray every night at 7 o'clock until he was done with us each night and released us to leave. <clears throat> he said, well, I want you to announce it to the church, but, uh, you know I, I don't know, I don't know with schedules and work and kids, how, however many can be there, And um, I said, well, the Lord didn't tell me to have the whole church show up. He told me for me and my wife to pray. So I told the church what we were going to do. And the next night, there was about a 100 people showed up. And we started praying. Friday night, there was about 110 showed up. And every night, it just kept building. And every night that we weren't having church, we were praying. And some nights, we prayed until 9 and 10 o'clock. But we began to pray. One night, the Lord said, it's greed that's driving the fuel market. Pray against the spirit of greed in Peoria, and I'll drive the gas prices down. Every gas station within 24 to 48 hours, every gas station in that city dropped the price of gas, 50 cents a gallon, and every gas station just outside the city limits went up. Crime in the south end of Peoria was at an all-time high. A city council member told one of the church members one day, she said, we don't know what y'all are doing down there in the south end. But ever since y'all have been in that parking lot with your cars and in that building every night of the week, seven nights a week, ever since y'all started doing whatever that is you're doing, she said, I drive by and I see your cars in the parking lot. Whatever y'all are doing, it's changing things in this city. The man of the church said, how do you mean? She said, well, crime has started going down. We've been looking and we've been checking it out. And the crime in this city has been exponentially going down since y'all started doing what you're doing. What are you guys doing? He said, well, we just felt like it was time to start praying. So we started praying every night. She said, well, the city of Peoria would like for you to keep doing that as long as you feel to do it because it's changing our city. Three major drug lords from Chicago had disappeared in Peoria, and they were hunting for them, and nobody could find them. They sent word, we need prayer, we need to be able to find these drug lords, these, these big-time gangsters. And so that night in Peoria, it wasn't uncommon to hear gunshots in the south end, and I know that because our fifth wheel was parked behind the church, and, and, and we were just not sure what time of day or night a bullet was coming through, but <clears throat> God said, be there, so we decided to be there. We started praying, and within 72 hours, they had found and arrested all three of those drug dealers and gangsters over major gang- gangs and crime families from Chicago. One night, we got a call. of Somebody's child in the city was being life-flighted from Peoria to St. Louis, and they called the church and said it's, it's life-threatening. They're not even sure if the child will be alive when it gets there. We began to pray, and by the time that helicopter landed in St. Louis, the child was perfectly fine. They turned around and flew the child back home. I'm telling you, when it's time for things to happen, if we'll just cooperate with it, the miraculous begins to happen, supernatural things begin to take place, stuff we can't take credit for, stuff we can't get bragged on about. It's just going to be God. And I'm telling you, that season has come to Antioch. Obey God. Do what he's calling you to do. Like last night and the night before and tonight, you just keep submitting to the flow of the Holy Ghost and the pull of the Spirit into prayer. If you'll keep doing what you're doing right this minute, what you've been doing for the last two weeks, and that change and that shift coming. The blind will see. The deaf will hear, the lame will walk, the dumb will talk. If you seek me, you'll find me. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Those that have been empty and lonely and depressed and feeling lost and confused, you will be made whole. And it won't be because we've done everything perfectly. It's going to be because it's time. Isn't that simple? Put that candle in them clay pots, boys. And when, that word indicates time. When you get a certain command, break the pot and shout. And when the sun come up the next day, (laughs) that valley was full of corpses that had turned on one another in the darkness and killed each other and had nothing to do with how well those fellows fought. It had to do with what they did when it was time to do it. We, we do a lot of stuff before it's time. We do a lot of things when it's not time. The scripture talks about a word fitly spoken, time. We try to rush the process when God leaves us alone. There's a reason that He's left you alone. When you're through being bitter, when you're through being mad, when you're through being offended at God, and all of this stuff has finally got out of your system, if you will humble yourself before God and submit to the plan of God, when it is time, what you're going through will end. He had to go... Why would we think that it's any different for us if He had to go into a grave at the hand of people He was dying for... Why would it seem to us any different that there are going to be people that are standing around when you go into what feels like a grave? But I promise you, if you'll just endure that grave for whatever amount of time you're supposed to be in there, when you come out, only God's the one that gets the credit. And nobody's going to look at it and say, well, what a program they had, what a church service they had, how they did this. My God, after 45 years, they figured out how to have church growth. No, no. We started this church with a knowledge of church growth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. If my people which are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. I'm going to tell you something. This church didn't get here by anything other than prayer. Somebody, two people began to pray. Two people prayed when there wasn't nobody else praying. Can you imagine what will happen when 200 or 400 or 800 or 1200 of us are praying for the same thing that two people prayed for in the beginning. If two people could pray this kind of a move of God into this city can you imagine what 1200 or 900 or 200 can move? What do you think you can pull out of heaven into the earth right if we will pray when it's time God what are you waiting on time God when's this going to be over in a little while don't you know how bad it is yeah, but you're not done yet. <clears throat> you know how you know when to take something out of the oven? When it's been in there long enough. Some junk comes out quicker than others. God, when's this going to be over? When I say it's going to be over. Haven't done all to do but stand. Stand there for I don't feel nothing. Who cares? Well, I just don't know why we can't do it this way or why we're not doing it that way. What difference does it make? He had one formula. If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray. You're not going to pray till you humble yourself. And you're not humble as long as you're griping about praying. But somebody in this building has gotten to the point in the last several months, I'm going to pray. I don't care how it happens. It don't matter to me what God has to do. I'm going to pray. I'm going to speak it. I'm going to believe it because someday it's going to be time. Someday we're coming out of this. Someday the drought's going to be over. Someday my cup's going to run over. Someday. And when that day comes, I'm going to be right here doing what I'm
1: called to do.
0: Bishop has often said the only people that think traveling is glamorous are those that don't have to do it. I got news for you. I travel all the time. I get home Friday. I'm going to go pick my little tribe up, Jennifer, Eliana, and Erica. And we're going to head to Missouri for two days. And I'm going to preach three more times by Sunday night. I don't feel a burden to do all that. And I never had peace until I figured out it's not about what I have a burden for. You tried and tried your best to beat that into my head. And I repent to you publicly for resisting all that. (gasps) I thought it had to be about emotion. but When it finally dawned on me, I didn't have a burden to do what it is I do. I had a calling. My hunger then began to grow because I had a hunger to see the purpose of my calling fulfilled. I didn't want to just wander around doing nothing anymore. I realized how much time I wasted trying to have a burden for what I wasn't supposed to have a burden for. And when I realized God had called me to do this, I realized there was a tremendous purpose beyond my emotional boundaries. And I became desperate, Bishop. Something in me turned over. And for the first time in all these years of ministry, I finally had peace about what I was doing in the kingdom of God. Do I like traveling? No. There are days that I literally get off of the plane and go straight to Dr. Wally Hayes' office and get my back adjusted. I don't go home. I pass, go, collect $200, go straight to the chiropractor. I walked in his office the other day and he said, what have you been doing? I said, I got off a plane a minute ago. He said, you've got two ribs out of place. I said, well, I was sitting in the bulkhead seat where there are no first class seats. On those little regional jets. And you tell me I'm not tiny Tim. You can tell by looking at me I'm, I'm full grown. <clears throat> and I'm in the airport and I look up and there's this behemoth of a man. He makes Brother Bond look child, just like a child. I look up and I just started laughing. Because I knew of all the seats on that plane. That side of beef was going to be sitting right beside this one. And so help me if I didn't get on that plane sitting in seat one B, I believe it was, the aisle seat. Because when you're my size, you don't want to get hemmed up on that window. Everybody don't take a regular bath. Hallelujah. And so if this had been about a burden that day, I'd have got off the plane. I'd have fell out playing like I was having a fit or something. This guy was the last human being to get on that plane. Just about the time your hope is up and your expectations are out the roof and you're breathing a sigh of relief. He walks on the plane. There were like eight other empty seats. He didn't see none of them. He looked at me and we both started laughing. I said, we're going to have calluses on the side of each of us time we get to Atlanta. Finally. When they're that big, you just got to make friends with them. I looked at him. I said, I'm going to ask you a question. I don't want you to come uncocked on me. I just, I just need to know. What exactly are, while well, I was talking like this, I said, what exactly are your dimensions? He said, he started laughing. He said, what do you mean by dimensions? I said, how heavy are you? We fly like this, pal. How heavy are you? How tall are you? You like a hunchback up in this bulkhead seat. He said, I'm six foot seven and I weigh 350 pounds. Good God you can have my seat too. I got up, went up in the galley and hung out with the stewardess. I helped pass out coffee. He'd have the whole row. I ain't doing this because I like it. I'm doing it because I got to. But if i got to endure that and put up with it, somebody's going to get the Holy Ghost. Somebody's going to be healed. Somebody's going to be delivered. Somebody's going to be set free. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? You've lost your mind. I ain't been wrestling with an angel per se. But every time I'm on a plane like that, every time I drive until my legs are numb and putting mile after mile after mile on my vehicle, every night that I'm away from my family, every hour that I'm away from my family, hell's going to pay for that. You hear me? Hell's going to give somebody up. Heaven's going to be rewarded. That's my wrestling with an angel. That's me wrestling in the night. Uh-uh. I'm not coming to church after all it took to get here and not have a move of God. Oh, if I could just have one of those angelic wrestling matches, you are every struggle that you've got at home just to get to the house of God, you're in a wrestling match with an angel. And your circumstances will say to you, hey, I know that you got a lot going on. If you want to back off at the house of God tonight, it's understandable. You got kids, you got jobs, you got spouses, you got problems, and you have got to reach down and realize, no, my hunger and my thirst will not let me give up now. I've been in this long enough. I've struggled to get here. And if I struggled to get to the house of God, I'm not leaving until I have been with the God of the house of God. I'm going to tell you why some of us check out because it's just about being in the house of God. Jacob wasn't satisfied just being in the house of God. He said, no, I got to be with the God of the house of God. When you're more worried about the house of God, you will pick it apart. You'll find everything in the book to gripe about and be fussed about. Everything will agitate you that you don't like going on. But when it's no longer about just being seen at church and putting in my time. When all of a sudden that shifts and something changes in my realization and I, I realize it's not about just being a part of this church. This ain't no country club where I got a right to have a voice on nobody's board. This is about me having an opportunity to spend time with the God of the house of God. And when my hunger is not about church, when my hunger is not about music, when my hunger is not about media, when my hunger is not about a program, but my hunger is about God, it don't matter to me me what they sing up here. It don't matter to me what they talk about. It don't matter. Just give me God. That shift has come. There are people sitting in this room that are tired. What did the prodigal say when he came to himself? Where did he say he had to go? No. Nope. When he shook himself. See, that's the problem with us. Yeah. That's the problem with us. we worried about location. we worried about where we're going to go to church. The prodigal didn't say anything about my father's house. He said, in my father's house, even the servants have more than I got in his pig pen. When he came to himself, he said, I got to get up from here and go find my daddy. If I want what my daddy's got, I got to get the relationship between me and my daddy right. When it becomes about my relationship with my father, if I could ever just figure that out and get the timing down and get up from where I am and make my way back to my father and let him know, while I know what you got, I'm not here for what you got. I'm here for you. At that moment that he becomes my obsession, every possession he's got, Becomes mine. There are people sitting in this room that are no longer interested in just where I'm going to go to church or what the church address is. We're not just interested in, i got to get up from here and get back to the house of God. We don't have church seven days a week, so if you can't get to the house of God and if you don't have a key to the building and you can't get in, what's you going to do when the adversary is knocking on the front door and mayhem and chaos have run into your family and destroying everything that you love? What you going to do then? It's time. Right that minute to draw on a relationship with God That doesn't require being in the house of God It simply requires being in the presence of God So at that moment you press your way into his presence And that obsessive hunger for him Sets the spirit world in motion And draws into the realm of the earth you occupy Every supernatural thing that heaven has To settle what's going on in your life I've watched my wife do this uh, countless numbers of times. I'm going to tell you something about the ministry. And she's watching right now. Baby, I love you. Oh, Miss Thang knows that I, I cry every time I leave my house without them. Now, they don't see it. But this time I left all three of the estrogen carriers in my house. We're saying, I don't want you to go on another trip. Daddy, do you have to? Eliana says, Daddy, I just need to spend time with you. I told Erica, I'll bring you a donut. It'll be okay. <laughs> okay. That child loves, oh, she he, She loves food. <clears throat> she told my wife the other day, she said, I was, she, My wife asked her, she said, Erica, what are you going to be when you grow up? Eliana's going to be a baby doctor. Erica said, "I want to be a baker." (laughs) My wife said, "Why are you going to be a baker, honey? I don't want to be too far from food." (laughs) That's mine right there. I'll tell you all a funny. We need a little reprieve at Apostolic Conference. Little Noah, we was all sitting in the room there with uh, that tribe and. I can't think of your name, I know your last name. Joel and Kate Wright, bless your heart. We're sitting in there and our two children are tearing up the room with their three children and I felt so happy about it all because it wasn't our room. (laughs) Noah comes up to me and he put his hand on my belly and just kind of mashed on it, walked off and in a minute he come back he said, can you swim? hold on that's not the good part i said yes junior i can swim can you swim underwater with this <laughs> well it has happened <laughs> i'm gonna tell you something children i've learned that, what I, <laughs> it's a built-in floaty son what are you talking about i ain't got to go to walmart and target to get none of it boom there it is floating Uh, yeah. How many floaters we got in the building? Be honest about it. Yeah, I'm a floater. Hey, the gift of face operating in here right now. Do you know that? It's operating right here right now. While you're laughing the gift of face moving.
1: Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Ye kie ta ha bah ha sata ta ba bahaya. Ye kaha lo ro ha kaha Tabaahaya, Hallelujah, haha. Ieloro tararatata babaahaya tasiya, kie kataahaya, Hallelujah, Hallelujah, Hallelujah. Praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God. Yala Roboho <laughs> ratata baba ka haye Ye ka la <laughs> rota la manda bahasaki ka tata ratata baba la baba Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God. God has distributed to every individual who has been baptized in his name and filled with his spirit giftings. Your giftings aren't like mine. Mine aren't like yours. Uh, Each of you have different giftings and those of you that have giftings that appear to be similar to someone else the Bible says that we are to operate those according to our personal uh, measure of faith. So even if two people have the same Type of gifting, it will not operate the same because no two people have the same measure of faith to operate their gifting with. Uh, the Holy Ghost spoke something to me. I did not plan to get up here. He walks over, hands me the bike. I say, "Okay, Jesus, your business. We'll do this." Uh, the the big problem we have is uh, when you have a gifting, you can learn to operate that gifting without flow. Uh, As I have said in the past, and will say to you again, uh, a gift can be operated by the Holy Ghost, by flesh or by demonic spirits. Most people who are operating their gifting by flesh are not aware of it, but if you operate your gifting by flesh long enough, you will eventually begin to operate your gifting by demonic empowerment. When you, when you are no longer operating your gifting by a flow of the Holy Ghost, maybe you have learned how to do your gifting. And you, you, you leave the dependency on the Holy Ghost to operate that gift, and then you become, you begin to operate that gift in the, in the flesh, then it's a, it's only a matter of time. Whether it's a short amount of time or a long amount of time, it's only a matter of time till you will begin to operate that gifting, uh, or a demonic spirit will operate that gifting through you. And the problem with that is when you, when you leave the flow of the spirit to flow through that gifting to beginning to do it through flesh. Uh, you know it doesn't feel exactly right it doesn't you don't sense it to be exactly right but it it's working and get this and you're not embarrassing yourself because you're proficient enough with it whether it's preaching, praying, singing, playing an instrument or whatever other gifting you may have. The problem is, when you switch from from flesh to demonic spirits, it actually feels like an improvement, like things have gotten better because you once again are aware that you're not having to use your effort to operate the gifting. So it's easy to be deceived in that setting because now there's a spirit, a spirit, operating your gifting again. So the, the precarious situation is when you learn how to operate your gifting through the flesh, you, you, you either in, you either end up getting hungry and thirsty enough because you understand that operating a gifting in the flesh, uh, You know it's in the flesh when there's virtually no results. And I'm not talking about shouting, dancing or whatever. I'm talking about eternal things happening. And when you're operating your gifting in the flesh and you're doing it proficiently but nothing is happening, you are operating in the flesh. Because when the Spirit of the Lord is flowing through your gifting, things will happen. Not some of the time, not most of the time, all of the time. Whether you're praying in the Spirit, singing in the Spirit in English or another language, preaching in the Spirit, whatever. Whatever gifting you have and you're operating If there is a flow of God through you using that gifting, things will happen. And I may not always know exactly what's happening, but I feel a witness in my spirit that something is happening. And when I'm operating my gifting in the flesh, it seems the same. In fact, people may compliment my preaching, my singing. People may be inspired emotionally by the emotion in my prayer. But things don't change, things don't happen. And if you settle into accepting that, personally or corporately, you are Setting yourself up for the switch of spirit because things get a lot easier when a spirit is operating your gifting than when your flesh is operating the gifting. And now things are easier and and and, and there will be some kind of false manifestation. Satan can do what appears to be miracles. But by that point, you're deceived. By that point, you've swallowed the lie and you're believing the lie. So, the point is, the man of God said, the angels of the Lord are active and operating in here. Uh. I felt that in my spirit and also felt the manifestation of it that I personally feel the way I know the feelings I have when angels are nearby or they're operating, they're active. Uh, I believe, as was already said, they're here. They're around the people of God all the time. They may not be active, which means you may not be able to feel them. But I felt it tonight. And, and, and I, and I wanted to go, this is what, I said all that to get to the point that the Lord wanted me to say. I believe that He is so desperate for us to let His Spirit flow through us, through our giftings to accomplish His work, that He is willing to give us the additional confirmation that we are flowing in the Spirit by letting us have the witness of angelic participation when we're flowing in the Spirit. In prayer, preaching, singing, teaching, witnessing, whatever it may be, However, God is using your gifting at that particular time. So if you're playing or you're singing and you're not feeling any kind of supernatural manifestation, you really need to question yourself on how you're operating your gifting. What's the power behind your gifting? If you're preaching, and I don't care if you're preaching the best message you've ever preached in your life. If there's no supernatural manifestation that you can sense in your spirit, first of all, but second of all, physically. Sup- a supernatural manifestation you feel physically is never the Holy Ghost. It's always angels. Goosebumps are not the Holy Ghost. I don't have time to back that up biblically, but I can. Goosebumps are angelic manifestation. Ideally, they're God's angels manifesting like that. But some people get deceived because they leave where truth is preached and they walk into some place where truth isn't preached and and they feel similar goosebumps and say, well, God is here. No, no, goosebumps are not God. And the Bible says that the devil manifests himself or makes himself, uh, he, 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 he deceives people by trying to imitate the angels of light. How does he do that? Because I don't just... Go by the goosebumps. What doctrine does the goosebumps, goosebumps want me to believe? That's always the test, you see. But, backing away from that, back to the point, you and I should have some kind of supernatural manifestation When there is a flow of God working through us in praise, in worship, in prayer, there should be. And if I accept less than that, you say, well, I don't always feel that. Fine. I'm not trying to get you to pray for a feeling. But that feeling is not what we're seeking for. It's the, it's the witness of what we're seeking for. It's just bearing witness that what we're seeking for is, is working. You agree with this? Seriously. I do not seek for feelings. I seek for flow. But there is always a witness to the flow. And and I... Oh, God have mercy. You know... I really... It's really a lot better for me just to sit over there and mind my own business. Because when I get to addressing you and feel this stuff and you're talking back to me it discourages me I, I i mean sincerely the stuff I'm getting back from some of you is really discouraging to me i really'd rather not hear it i'd really rather i'd really rather think the best of you but you won't let me think the best of you because you're telling me stuff I don't want to know. I understand that if you want to settle for nothing supernatural happening in your life, in your prayer, in your worship, in your praise, in your ministry, whatever it may be, it is your privilege... To settle for that. The man of God that ordained me. In, in May of 1971. I heard him say many times. Said it to me personally. heard him say it publicly. He said said to me one day. Brother Wright. I, I finally came to the understanding. As a pastor. That people have a right to go to hell. If they want to. And if people just. desperately intend to find a reason to go to hell you can't stop them. So if uh, it's been said, uh, let's say it again. This is Antioch. I didn't make Antioch, Antioch. Hello? Somebody needs to hear what I just said. I, Chester Wright, didn't make Antioch, Antioch. The Lord Jesus Christ made a choice. He sovereignly decided that He was going to make this place in Antioch. That was the prophecy. We were the first United Pentecostal Church of Annapolis, Maryland, Inc. Until the man of God who was in the pulpit that day is the only time he'd ever been here. The man of God who was in the pulpit that day prophesied, and he said, "The Lord said." I will, I will make this church an Antioch. A place to come to to be trained and to go out from for revival. And let me tell you something about back then. Nobody from the pulpit ever said we're not going to be, we're not going to call ourselves First United Pentecostal Church anymore. Nobody ever announced we're going to call ourselves Antioch. But from that day, the people of that church Uh, uh, the, the church at that time began to call us Antioch. We referred to ourselves as Antioch. In conversation among ourselves, we did Antioch. Do you know why we did that? Because every time we said the name Antioch, we understood we were confessing our faith in what God promised. Every time. Every time we said the name Antioch. We were confessing our faith in what God had promised. Every time. Every time. I don't know about you, but I still feel that way. I am consciously aware that when I say the name Antioch, write the name Antioch, hear the name Antioch, that it is a confession of faith in the promise of God. We did not name ourselves I did not make this church in Antioch. God did. So you got a problem. If you're sitting here at Antioch and you don't have a desire to participate with or fellowship with the supernatural, then you're never going to feel at home here. You're always going to feel like something's off, like something's missing. What's wrong? Why can't I feel comfortable here? Because I didn't make this like this. God did. And if you're going to be a part of this, there's got to be something inside here that wants to fellowship with the supernatural. And I don't mean the sensational. Okay? We're not seeking the sensational. We're seeking to fellowship with God. And God is a spirit. And I cannot fellowship with God without it being supernatural. And if God is in me, and I'm letting that God flow through me, that is supernatural. And if I'm doing something that's supposed to be ministry, including prayer praise, preaching, singing, play, whatever it may be, if I'm doing something that's supposed to be ministry and it's not being done supernaturally, then God's not involved in it. And if you're willing to settle for that, that's all you're ever going to have. And you know what? Caleb's been talked about Saturday night. I wasn't able to be here last night but but I heard about Caleb again tonight i Caleb gave up his opportunity to go into the promised land because he stayed with the body, and for forty years he wandered in the wilderness with the body while he had faith to do something else, and he participated with other people getting their inheritance. The first five years that they were in the promised land. And it was after he helped others get their inheritance that he finally said, okay, it's now my turn. And the man of God said it tonight. If you're, if, if you've been around here a while and I'm going to leave while undefined. And 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 you have you're dependent upon who's in the pulpit or he's who's on the keyboard or who's playing the instruments or singing to get you into the presence of the Lord. Something is wrong. I wrote it down. Fellowship, being in the presence of God, is not synonymous with being in the house of God. I wrote that down in my in my phone. I'm not sitting, if, when I'm do, when I got my phone out like that, I'm not texting. I'm not checking my email. I'm making notes. I don't want to forget stuff I hear. And I've had some say, what are you doing on your phone? Well, the, you're judging me by you because you know if you're on your phone, you're, you're checking email or ball scores. So you're judging me by you. Don't judge you by, me by you. I'm making notes of stuff I want to study later. And I'm not going to apologize for that because I'm almost 70 and I don't want to forget. Of course, I had to do that when I was 30. So I guess it doesn't matter, does it? <sighs> Man of God says to get the face in the house. To get the face in the house, and 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 the angels of God. And we have never ever been uh, devil chasers, and we're not. We we don't seek to fellowship with angels. They're not here to fellowship with us. We fellowship with God. We don't fellowship with angels. But when there is angelic, I, I've been studying this lately, trying to get some stuff. Updated and advanced for call of war. And, and and I was going through this again. The lesson I was in working on was in this, this arena again the other day. God always has his angels present to work for and with the ministry of the people of God. If you are the people of God, you don't ever come together that there aren't angels present whether you know they're there or not. But God doesn't automatically let them manifest themselves to us unless we break past that barrier of flesh. I'll say it to you again. If you want to blame the fact that you're not feeling anything, because of who's in the pulpit or who's singing or playing or what, or, or any other excuse you want to use. It's just an excuse. And you're just making excuses for your lack of hunger, your lack of desire, your lack of passion. Because, excuse me. I got a little bit of, I got some Caleb here, I got some Jacob too. Okay? I'm not get, I'm not going to be left out. You hear me? I'm not being left out. And and you know what? If I got to put on some lamb skin so dad rubs my arm and says, well, it's really Esau. The voice sounds like Jacob, but the, but it feels like Esau. You know what? If I if I got to learn from my mama how to cook some lamb so it tastes like venison, I'm getting what God's got. I'm not going to be left out. I'm not looking for excuses. I'm looking for a move of God. I said I'm not looking for excuses. I'm looking for a move of God. I want a move of God. I want to be a part of a move of God. How many of you want to be a part of the harvest when it comes? Well, let me give you an illustration and then I'll ask that question again. How many of you would like to, for you and your wife or you and your husband to go to the hospital for you to have a baby expecting one and birth 10? And realize at that moment your whole world ceased to exist and you have a new world where you have no time for yourself at least for the next 18 years. And I'll ask that question again. How many of you want to be a part of Harvest? Because that's how much your life is going to change when this happens. That's how much your life is going to change. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we want to feel some goosebumps and we want to see the sensational because it's entertaining. But when God gives us what we're asking for, it's going to be all saved hands on deck. And the people that don't get involved are going to prove they're not saved anyway. Because anybody that puts their life and their schedule and their time and their desires ahead of all these babies that need to be taken care of, prove they don't even know Jesus. So we're praying for a move of God. Do we know the price of having a move of God? Oh, there's a price. There's a huge price. And you'll be able to give more because you won't have a lot of time to blow money like we blow it now. We won't need the kind of money we need now because we're not going to have time for the entertainment we spend it on now. I, w- I want to I be a part of a move of God. In Jesus' name... Lord, let your spirit give us a resolve that refuses to settle for participating in religious activity rather than participating in a move of God. Come on, right now. It's happening here right now. I feel it. In the name of Jesus, let the spi- I bless you with the spirit of hunger and thirst after righteousness. After the kingdom of God, that will not let you be satisfied, that will not let you settle for just going through the motions of religion and not having a move of God. In your home, every home in this church needs to have a breakthrough in the presence of God and the move of God in your house in the name of jesus you can't fellowship with strife and carnality at home and then walk in here and get in tune with the spirit you can't do it it's too hard to do it's too hard to get there from from get it here from there Come on, come on right now. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I loose the angels of God to go to every home that's a part of this church and war with us against the demonic spirits that war against the peace in that house, that war against the love of God in that house, that wars against the spirituality of that house. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, rise up, Holy Ghost rise up holy ghost in the name of jesus i bind the spirits of carnality i bind the spirits of strife i bind the spirits of confusion in the name of jesus i command them to loose every house i bind the spirits of lust the spirits of perversion That are trying to war against some of these homes. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I loose the spirit of God. And the Holy Ghost of God. Into every home. That's a part of this church. In the name of Jesus. I speak grace and mercy. And peace from the Father. Into those homes in Jesus name. I speak revival and repentance into each and every home that's in this church. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I bind every spirit of gossip. Every spirit of backbiting and deceit every critical spirit that chews up the church and the people of the church and the ministry of the church in these homes. I bind it in Jesus' name. I bind these spirits in Jesus' name. I command that they loose these homes and these families in Jesus' name. I loose the spirit of edification in these homes that what's said one to another and said about people outside of those homes would be edifying. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus in the name of jesus ika ta hala rota haya ika ala rata tatababa ka haya in the name of jesus in the name of jesus ita hala rota tabababa ka haya tataba in the name of jesus I bind every spirit of division in these homes in the name of Jesus. I bind every spirit that wars, wars against the children of these homes to cause confusion in these houses and disruption in these houses in Jesus name. I loose the spirit of the Lord's authority to be exercised in love over the children of the houses and the homes of this church in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, give the men of this church the spiritual backbone to stand up and be the head of their houses in love and kindness, but to be the head of their houses in Jesus' name. I bind every spirit of Jezebel of, 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 uh, that's wanting for, for any female to run over the head of the house in the name of Jesus. I bind the spirit of Jezebel that are warring against the divine order of these homes. In the name of Jesus, loose these houses, loose these families. In the name of Jesus. <laughs> In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Can you feel the witness of the Holy Ghost? Come on. Can you feel the witness of the, of, the, of the angels of his presence? That's what the Bible calls them. The angels of his presence. In the name of Jesus. Do you feel that witness? I do. I feel it. I feel the witness of both the Holy Ghost inside and the angelic presence of of, 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 of God's ministering spirits on the outside. Don't settle. Don't settle. Don't settle. God is no respecter of persons. If you want it, you can have it. If you were unwilling to settle for less than that, you can have it. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Say brother Wright, when's the gift of faith going to operate? What do you think we've been doing the last 10, 15 minutes? The gift of faith is operating. Let it operate through your, for your home. For your job, for your finances, for your ministry, that there might be fruit. It is the will of God for us to bear fruit. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Thank you for your participation in these prayer meetings. But that's not enough. You got to have your own time of prayer, your own place of prayer, your own hunger to pray. You've gotta have it. It doesn't work without it. You can't have the blessings of God on your life, your family, your work, your ministry, without, without prayer, without having prayer, without praying, and not just going through the motions of prayer, but having a flow of the Spirit in prayer. And if you don't know what to say in prayer in English or Spanish, then let the Holy Ghost pray, pray through you in, in, a, in, in, a, in other tongues.